This podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Underground. It's our new membership designed for you to help you attract more clients and hit 10K a month consistently. For more information or to sign up, go to thecopywriterunderground.com. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 116 as we chat with copywriter and entrepreneur Nabil Aziz about his claim to be Dubai's most expensive copywriter, his troll framework, investing in himself and his business, what it feels like to get kicked out of the Copywriter Club Facebook group, and what it means to be an alpha Muslim. Welcome, Nabil. Hey, Nabil. Hello. What up? What up? What's up, Robin Kira? <laughs> this is a long time coming. Second time's the charm. We tried this one time earlier in the year, but... Uh, I totally sucked, so obviously it wasn't published. <laughs> I, I think maybe it had more to do with uh, bad internet connection to where you are, which isn't always uh, isn't always easy to get a connection. Yeah, well, we're glad you're back anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming at you from a from a cave in Dubai somewhere. <laughs> All right, Nabil, let's kick this off with your story. How did you get into copywriting? Right. So uh, I fell into copywriting by accident. I used to volunteer at this community center. Um, and out of the group, I had the best command of written English. So generally, it fell to me to write the email blasts and marketing collaterals. At the time, I didn't know that this was, uh, you, you call this copywriting. Along the way, I got exposed or introduced to Ramit Sethi. And he introduced me to this uh, world of personal development and online business I n- never knew existed. And then I ended up getting my first paid gig, also by accident. So the community center was organizing a conference. And my friend, who was also a volunteer, he had his own marketing agency, and they commissioned him to brand the event and uh, create all of the marketing. And obviously, he needed a writer, so he subcontracted that out to me. So I ended up writing the entire website, all of the marketing collaterals, a bespoke invitation for VIPs, uh, and even a script for a, you know a marketing video. Uh, it was total amateur hour, um, and I, as I look back at on it now, as I look at the website now, I cringe. But that was my first uh, full package. So now I'm thinking, yo, I, I could do this. I could sell my services as a writer. And that's when Nabil Aziz, the copywriter, was born. So tell us about your business since then, Nabil. Obviously, uh, you've moved on to other uh, clients. You're a partner, I believe, in an ad agency. You're working on your own projects. Like, you know, Once you decided to be a copywriter, then what? Right, so I have a I have a bunch of things going on right now. Uh, Nabil Aziz is a direct response copywriter, author, and marketing consultant. Uh, Dropkick Copy is my boutique content studio, and I run that with my brother. Uh, Becoming the Alpha Muslim is a self improvement blog for Muslim men, and that's my side hustle. Uh, I was a partner in a in a marketing agency. I was helping out a few friends uh, with their content strategy. Uh, but I've since moved on from that uh, earlier in the year, and now I'm you know, just on my own now. Um, as a copywriter, I actually haven't nailed down a core offer yet. So I, I write a bunch of things for a bunch of people. And you know, I kind of like the feeling of being versatile, and I'm, I'm not really sure I buy into the idea of niching down. I get it, and you know, there's a strong argument for it, but I mean, I'm not fully sold yet, and maybe that's just me not willing, uh, not being willing or not being ready to commit to, you know, niching down and going all in on one offer. Uh, But as Dropkick Copy, we sort of recently had an epiphany after launching a podcast for a client. So, you know, getting the client to create the content, it actually solves many of the problems we have 
when businesses outsource their content marketing. So for now, we're only selling a done-for-you podcast launching service. Uh, and then basically what we do is we plan and build a show with the client. And then we take post-production, distribution, and promotion off their plate. So it's like a win-win, especially if the client has, uh, has a high-ticket offer or their customers go through a, a measured or thought-through buying process. So, Nabil, how did you end up as Dubai's most expensive copywriter? Where, where did that come from? What was the catalyst for that? Right. So I generally like to experiment with a bunch of different things, and this tagline is, is one of them. Uh, I wanted to see what effect that would have on uh, my personal brand online. Uh, it isn't, it isn't uh, you know, false advertising. I, am, I do believe that I am the most expensive copywriter in Dubai. If I find someone more expensive, I'll raise my rates. <laughs> How, however, being Dubai's most expensive copywriter doesn't mean I'm uh, the world's most expensive copywriter or even America's most expensive copywriter because I just charge U.S. rates while living in Dubai. Uh, and sometimes I uh, get some pushback from prospects because they are trying to geo-arbitrage uh, and they think that they might get uh, you know, a cheapo copywriter because, you know, they're in America and we're over here. Uh, but they don't realize that the work that gets put in is exactly the same. And if they want uh, quality and results, then they're going to have to pay accordingly. So, Nabil, before we go any farther, we should probably note that you are one of the few copywriters that has actually been kicked out of the Copywriter Club Facebook group, at least uh, for uh, several months. And uh, maybe we should talk about you know, why that happened and, and what, uh, you know, what's happened since. I would reframe it and say I was put on a timeout. So I just recently, <laughs> I, I just recently uh, you know, uh, sent in a join request and that was accepted. So I'm back in the Copywriter Club You're now. Back in. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to make a grand entrance as soon as this drops. So to answer Rob's question. The catalyst for me getting put on a, a time out was uh, basically I had been uh, helping a bunch of female copywriters out. They've been, they had been messaging me and I've been, I had been giving them advice on their business, you know, how to package their services, what to charge, et cetera, et cetera. And I found this common theme occurring and that, that was highly competent writers who for some reason or other keep selling themselves short. Right, and these were all women. I haven't actually noticed that with male copywriters that I know. So that gave me an idea for a product uh, and a post. And I, I was actually testing or trying to validate the, the, the product idea or the service idea. And I posted it in the Copywriter Club. Long story short, all hell broke loose. And... Kira, Rob, and Britt had to do a bunch of damage control to appease the mob's bloodlust. I had to be sacrificed. Uh, and I don't actually regret writing what I did, but the only thing I regret is actually putting uh, the two of you and Britt in a difficult position like that. Uh, and I do believe I've apologized for <laughs> my part in this fiasco. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of, you know, the whole thing was kind of interesting because uh, there was a lot of discussion around cultural differences uh, and there are, you know, those obviously come into play. There was a lot of discussion around, you know, what we're willing to tolerate, you know, for feminists versus, uh, you know, racism or, and, and those kinds of things. And I think we had some pretty valuable, you know, discussion around that in the group at the time. And I don't necessarily want to revisit that because I think, you know, a lot of that ground has been crossed, but uh, it's fair to say that um, you, uh, you know, with, with that post offended a, a good number of people in our group. And, um, you know, it was, uh, I, I think, fairly described by some as uh, over the top and, and maybe not quite appropriate for what we're trying to accomplish in our group. Right. So let's let's talk about what you've been doing since then, because I think, you know, some good has come out of it for, for your business. And then also, you know, for our group, I think that the hard discussions we were forced to have at the time um, were hopefully productive for the community, even though it did cause some stress. I definitely had a couple stressful evenings around that time. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like I see dude copywriters who struggle as well and sell themselves short. 
I mean, we could argue whether more women sell themselves short. I, I don't have those stats, but how would you say, Nabil, like how can copywriters stop selling themselves short? Because that is something that um, I feel like you've done well knowing you and your business. So do you have any actual advice that would apply to both men and women um, in this space? Because this is something that a lot of copywriters struggle with, period. Right. So in the Think Tank Mastermind a couple of months ago, I posted this video. I, I just recorded a short video uh, going over uh, basically how to uh, figure out your effective hourly rate according to the lifestyle that you want to ri- you, you want to live. So, for example, if you want to do only 10 hours of client work a week, yeah, and uh, you want to you wanna take a profit out for your business and pay yourself a salary, how much do you have to charge? And then how much does that effective hourly rate change depending on your uh, actual billable hours versus the salary you pay yourself versus your business expenses and things like that. Uh, I pr- I'm probably going to post that video in the Copywriter Club Facebook group for people to watch it and try to get it because it's very simple. It's like a five-minute exercise. And then once you know, you know, this is the goal hourly rate that I want to work towards, then you can figure out how to um, a price your services and then build out the system so that so that you're actually basically working in a business that you know that you started in started copywriting for as opposed to trading one boss for several other bosses. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, so we'll share that. And, you know, you mentioned that you don't have a niche and you don't, you don't really see, you haven't been convinced of the power of niching, but when I look at your business and and the way that you show up online and the content you share and, and even what you contribute in, in online forums and groups like our Facebook group, you know, I feel like you're always controversial and, and you push the limits, right? So, I feel like it all connects back to that. So since since we kicked you out of the group and that event occurred, what have you created in your own business around this controversy and that could actually help other entrepreneurs and copywriters? Right. So that's a good jump off point. Um, a while after uh, I got put on a timeout, um, Kira, you and you, Rob and I were on our, uh, our check-in call, uh, in the think tank. And then we were talking about this situation and I told you that, uh, you know, I was thinking of creating a content piece around it just to talk about some of the, the social dynamics and the group dynamics that happened when it all kicked off. And then Rob mentioned, you know, maybe you could give it like an acronym or something like, troll something uh, and then that was uh and i sort of sort of a kernel of an idea that we were going to create a uh, create a piece of content around uh shortly after that we had a training with mel abraham on uh on frameworks and how um, experts can use frameworks in their business to convey uh concepts to their prospects and clients in a way that uh, it makes it easy for the prospect to understand and builds the expert's authority. And then a framework is basically just a, a visual representation of a comp- complex concept. And at its core, the, the framework is just shapes and text, no big deal. But then the shapes you choose and the terminology that you create and the way you present those two things combined, they equal more than the sum of their parts. So I ended up creating, because we were given this exercise in the, in the think tank, I ended up creating a framework uh, called the troll framework, which is a way that uh, copywriters, consultants, experts, whatever coaches can leverage um, their personal brand or the way that they show up online to repel people that aren't the right fit and attract the people who are the right fit. And it basically entails, uh, and the effectiveness of the framework depends on how much risk you're willing to take in being polarizing. 
So walk us through that. Right. So it's it's basically an upside down pyramid. And then I think we can drop a link to the actual uh, Im- image or the framework in, in the show notes. Uh, it's an upside down pyramid. It has five segments, right? From bottom to top, you're going from increasing levels of um, from app, basically from anonymity to infamy. All right. So at the bottom, you're like totally anonymous. And at the top, you're infamous. All right. And then the width of each segment denotes how much reach you have. So the more famous or infamous you are, the more reach you have, the more influence you have, the greater the effect on the world you have. All right. And then the bottom level, which is level one, is lurker. And that's when the person is totally anonymous. Uh, social media is just a pastime to him. Um, he's just, you know, on, on, he's just there to entertain himself. And then the next level up is uh, public and passive. So you do have a public profile. You, you know, you are uh, like you're, you're not anonymous. Your name is on there. Uh, but you you're not you're not engaged. You, maybe you like you like posts, you share posts, but you're not actively engaged. Uh, public and active is uh, most people who are uh, you know using social media for business purposes. Uh, however, they are uh, people who will try not to be contrarian or controversial. Basically, trying to uh, sort of follow the herd as it were. Okay. Uh, level four is thought leader. Okay. Uh, thought leader will be someone who is public. He's active and he's not afraid to express, uh, contrarian opinions or express himself honestly. Uh, he's got haters. He knows he has haters, but he doesn't mind uh, about that because he's got an equal amount of people who love him. And then the highest level up is is pariah, where at this point you're so controversial and so infamous where your haters are now governments and corporations and institutions. Uh, so you basically put your back yourself into a corner and you at the at the worst end of it, you'll get uh, digitally unpersoned. Um, so levels one and two are basically the, the majority of people on the internet. Level three is uh, most of us copywriters uh, who you know are active in things like Facebook groups. We have an active Twitter, active Instagram. Uh, the thought leaders are the you know the the big names, uh, the people who you know get attention. Um, if I can think of a copywriter who is not a troll like me, but ha- but is applying the troll framework. Uh, I can think of somebody like Alora Weaver, who is definitely a thought leader. She has uh, very strong op- opinions about how business should be done, and she repels people and attracts a lot of people as well. I think that's a perfect example. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you have somebody like Mike Cernovich, who is also a very controversial figure. And he's got a lot of haters and a lot of a lot of fans as well. But he sort of uh, toes the line of what is acceptable. And at the level five pariah level, you have people like Alex Jones, uh, who got deplatformed from everywhere in a coordinated, uh, basically attack. You have people like Milo Yiannopoulos. You have people like Roosh V. Uh, nine of his books were banned from Amazon and a bunch of other digital publishers. So basically, the framework is you trying to push the limits of what is possible without getting into pariah status. So you want to be in that level four situation where you're a thought leader. uh, And depending on your your level of risk tolerance, then you might uh, toe the line towards pariah or you might toe the line towards public uh, and active. Hey, we're just jumping into the show today to tell you a little bit more about the Copywriter Underground. Rob, what do you like best about this membership? 
So this membership community is full of copywriters that are investing in their businesses and taking what they do seriously. Everything is focused around three ideas, copywriting and getting better at the craft that we all do, marketing and getting in front of the right customers so that you can charge more and earn more, and also mindset so that you can get out of your head and focus on the things that will help you be successful at what we do. There's a private Facebook group for the members of the community, and we also send out a monthly newsletter that's full of advice, again, on those three areas, copywriting, marketing, and mindset, things that you can mark up and you know tear out, put them in your files, save them for whatever, and it's not going to get lost in your email inbox. Kara, what do you like about the Copywriter Underground? So I, I love the monthly hot seat calls where our members have a chance to sit in the hot seat and ask a big question or get ideas or talk through a challenge in their business because we all learn from those, those situations. And then I also feel like the templates we include in the membership are valuable because who wants to reinvent the wheel? And Rob and I end up sharing a lot of the templates and resources we use in our own businesses. So I would definitely want to grab those. So if you are interested in joining a community of copywriters that are investing in their business and in themselves and trying to do more, get more clients, earn more money consistently, go to thecopywriterunderground.com to learn more. Now back to the program. So... If I want to be a thought leader, then um, I would say probably, you know, a good majority of copywriters want to be the thought leader. Then what do I need to do to get there? What are some actionable steps? Okay. Uh, first thing is you need to show up and show up consistently. And the second thing is that you need to express yourself honestly. Too many people are expressing a self-image and not expressing themselves. Um, and this is something Bruce Lee has written about. So you have this idea of the person you want to be perceived as, and that's your self-image, and that's the person you try to show up as online. But that is not really you, and that's not going to work. So what you need to do is express yourself honestly. As long as you're expressing yourself honestly, as long as you're a person who others can see that you have certain principles that you live by and you're not afraid to express those principles, you are going to get to thought leader status eventually. And by nature, by the na very nature of, you know, be, being someone of principles, you are going to have haters. Uh, the only difference between a thought leader and a, you know, public, public active person, which is level three and level four, is that level three has haters, but those haters are silently judging them or silently hating them. They haven't, they haven't actually said anything worth uh, publicly being uh, publicly disagreeing over. So it's, it's like, you know, for example, Kira, like you're generally not a controversial person. Everybody loves you. Um, not, However, everybody, not everybody sure loves that, me for the record. <laughs> not everybody loves you. Okay. Well, maybe Rob. The, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> on certain days, man. <laughs> Depends on the day. All right. So, yeah, let's, I mean, let's, uh, as an intellectual uh, sort of exercise, let's assume that is the case. So Kira, on Kira's website, she has these uh, funny pictures of her in a bear outfit uh, and in a Mad Hatter outfit. And if I'm not Kira's people and I come to Kira's website, I'll be like, yo, what the hell is this? What is this crazy person in a bear outfit? I don't like her. I don't like her face. Okay. Uh, however, since you're, uh, however, since you're not uh, generally not one to, um, you know, say controversial things or be a contrarian uh, on social media, they'll be, you know, silent haters and they won't be open public haters. D does that make sense? Are you getting the distinction? Yeah, here? no, I'm getting the distinction, um, and I think that's accurate. I'm not controversial online, but I, I guess I just want you to convince me, like. Why do I want why do I want to be more controversial and have lots of haters who are sharing openly when I feel like I'm doing pretty well like with you know with the the category I'm in level 3 or whatever level I'm in like yeah it seems like there's a level up to go but can you convince me and the people listening like it's worth it to be controversial because you will then get is it more money is it more fame um, like what is that? Because it also introduces a lot of, um, disadvantages too, right. Which you've talked about, like what you had to deal with as well. Yeah. So first let me say that, okay, it really depends on how much risk you're willing to take. Now, 
you might be perfectly comfortable being at level three and you might be, your business might be totally fine, right? But there are like people have different levels of risk tolerance, right? Some people are more edgy, some people are less edgy. So it's a, real, a really a personal choice you have to make, right? Uh, and this, the second, you know, point is that it really isn't about being controversial just for the sake of being controversial, okay? Do you have ideas that, do you have strong ideas that you would be willing to live and die by, right? Are you willing to express those ideas online? You're not expressing them to you know, offend anyone or upset anyone, okay? And it could, it might not even be related to politics or religion or gender or race or whatever. It could be related to marketing. You might have some strong ideas that mark, uh, about marketing that people might disagree with, right? And when you express those ideas, naturally, you're going to get some pushback, okay? And the, the sort of the distinction is, you know, are you willing to uh, ex, like receive that, that pushback, okay, in exchange for the ability to polarize your audience and attract people who are, you know, resonating with your message. So it's really just a, it, it's, 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 there's a spectrum, and you can be on one end of the spectrum or the other. It's just a matter of personal preference. Yeah, I think this applies to not just personalities, but also to products as well. And maybe products uh, are pretty rare when they go into that pariah status, but there are definitely products that pick a market and go very hard after that market. So, And we've even seen some of these posted in our Facebook group. So uh, at one point, somebody posted a label from a barbecue sauce that uh, I think it said something like, you know, barbecue sauce for men. Uh, the copy on the label was, you know, could be described as very manly or, um, you know, at least what's traditionally been thought of as, as manly. And, you know, in that post, I think there was a lot of criticism for that, but I look at that and say, okay, well, that's a product that is uh, going after a particular market and, you know, in a way that is repelling everybody that's not in that market. So um, may, you call it radical positioning or, you know, something, you know, troll framework, what, you know, the stage and the troll framework that it meets. I think it can actually be a really effective device for a lot of products, as long as you don't go over the top and, you know, create that pariah status. I think we see a lot of the pariahs, like you were saying, in religion or in politics or in, you know, really controversial areas. But there's a lot to be said about thinking through, you know, creating rabid fans and a few enemies in marketing. Yeah. And I mean, I bet you if the barbecue sauce was an intersectional feminist barbecue sauce, nobody would have batted an eye and there would have been cheers and, oh my God, this is the best marketing ever. I'm not sure that that's true because I, there's a lot of pushback on that kind of thing too, but that's okay because, you know, if there, you know, if there is a barbecue sauce for, you know, a feminist and, and if feminists were to actually buy into that market, you know, if like, I like, that's okay. It's okay for, you know, different groups to have products that resonate with them more than others. Yes, it is okay. I agree with you. Yeah. And uh, like, okay, if you think about a product like barbecue sauce, right? You're in a commodity market. How do you differentiate yourself? Like the whole idea uh, of, you know, mansplain your biz, okay? If I'm in a crowded market of all female business coaches, let's say I actually launched the idea and went through with it, right? If I'm in a crowded space of um, all, you know, female business coaches of, you know, you know, step into your light and you are a soul goddess type of uh, business coaching. How do I differentiate yourself from the market? Now, I can go one angle, right, and appeal to appeal to the masses, or I could go in the opposite direction and attract, attract a specific kind of, uh, you know, female client who, you know, you know, might think of these, like the position at, positioning as, you know, funny or humorous or entertaining or doesn't see a big deal with the positioning, right? No, totally. I think that's the whole part of attracting people who love you and then uh, really repelling everybody else. So what I like about this framework that you've created is it's really intentional, right? So it, it gives us a chance to have conversations like this and to kind of look at where you and your business and your brand fit into this framework. And I think the question I was asking earlier is like, well, why do I have to jump up? And the way you answered it is, well, maybe you don't have to, but just understand where you kind of fit into it 
and find out where you're comfortable. And even maybe the point of it is to think about what you could do to get out of your comfort zone. And that's different for everyone. So while it may make sense for some people to be in level four and others to be in level two, like just be aware of where you are and understand it. You know, you have to create a plan if you want to jump into a different level. Um, but I do think an important message is what you shared about, um, you know, if don't be controversial for the sake of being controversial. If that's not who you are, then don't show up that way. Like for you, Nabil, that's who you are. So it would be strange for you to play in a level two. What is level two called? Uh, public passive. Public, right. Like if you are public passive, something, I would just say like, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? What's going <laughs> on? This is not you. So, but there are people out there who it could be okay to be public passive. If that's where you fit in, just maybe challenge yourself to kind of question why you're there and what, you know, are you okay being there? Where is that going to help you grow your business? Um, so I think just to ask those hard questions, but ultimately like you need to be who you are. So I'm not naturally a controversial person if you meet me in person and we're sitting, you know, we're out for dinner. So it's not necessarily a way I want to show up online because it's not who I am. I'm like the diplomat who wants everybody to be best friends. Um, but it's good for me to think about, well, if I want to move into this different level and be a thought leader, are there ways I could write content that maybe is a little bit more risky for me or feels like I'm out of my comfort zone? So I think it's just a good way to look at the framework and kind of understand how where you are and where you could go and what your goals are. Yeah, and uh, you being uh, closer to level three uh, doesn't mean that you're not a thought leader, okay? So you could be, for example, on the lower end of thought leader, a lower end of level four and closer to level three, which, I mean, obviously you and Rob are you know, thought leaders in this little copywriter community that we have, right? So it, it's, it, I mean, it's not a black and white framework. There's a lot of, you know, nuance to it. It's just, it's just a visual representation and a mental model to help you understand you know, am I taking enough risks in my business? Am I getting out of my comfort zone? Am I, am I getting myself out there in a way that I should to grow my business? And then just have an honest, you know, assessment of yourself. Yeah, the irony for me, Nabil, is that you started out, you know, this interview talking about how you don't believe in niching, but this is really a tool for identifying a niche that you can resonate with. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So, you know, it comes, it comes down to, uh, you know, I, there's not very many of us that want to go over, you know, the top and, you know, offend everybody and, or, you know, offend everybody except for the weird niche that we're in. But, um, you know, if we can identify the right audiences for our messages and maybe it's slightly controversial, maybe, you know, I, I, in the marketing space, you know, you take issue with something that, you know, a big marketing company is doing, or, you know, you push, uh, for people to do the opposite of what the crowd is doing. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of smarts around doing that, but it really does come down to identifying who you want to resonate with and, you know, what is it that you have to say or do in order to attract them and then either not worry about everybody else or repel everybody else, like you were saying. Right. And then it's, uh, it's easier to work from a repulsion marketing perspective than, a than an attraction marketing, because, when you're doing attraction marketing, you have no idea like who these people in your audience are. And, and we're going to talk about this more because, you know, that's one of the uh, failures that I made in my own marketing where I ended up with an email list that is full of unqualified prospects, right? So when you're, re when you're repelling people, right, when you come from the, from the frame of reference of repelling people, then the only people who are left are by definition your ideal prospect because they're the only ones who are going to hang around. Right, right. So, Nabil, I want to ask you, you know, beyond this topic and um, showing up in a controversial way or, you know, polarizing uh, messages, you, you've you been in the Facebook group and you're around hanging out with a lot of copywriters. What are some other mistakes that you see all copywriters making or the majority of copywriters making that is slightly frustrating because you feel like the solution is easy. What else are you seeing currently? I think the, the biggest mistake is not understanding how much 
money they need to charge in order to have a a viable business so and really this depends on each in each individual copywriter's needs and and lifestyle right so you need to figure out what kind of lifestyle you want to live and then charge accordingly rather than rather than charging what you perceive the market is going to be willing to pay so the biggest mistake is you know under underpricing their services the i mean the next m- mistake is waiting to be chosen instead of you know doing free work or underpaid work to you know quote pay your dues like i need I, i would love to see more copywriters going out and building niche sites and selling their own products or somebody else's products so that way they've already got uh conversion data and you know actual live examples of their copy selling product under their belt rather than you know uh doing free work or underpaid work and then uh doing stuff out of sequence so like if you're a new copywriter your number one priority is getting new clients not uh building your website not getting business cards or a logo not blogging like you need to be booking sales calls and making offers and then i think the number one mistake and the most uh, the i think that's the easiest fix is like if you want to be a copywriter it's not as not the same as running a business of copywriting right so if you're new and your your interest is primarily the copywriting uh, aspect i mean it probably makes a lot more sense for you to go go in house and uh become be a copywriter at a marketing agency or go go work for you know one of the big publishers like agora or stasbury or wherever cuz learning the business of copywriting is actually another set of skills that if you're also trying to learn how to write copy uh, it's it's going to be it might be too much for you so it's better for you to actually go get paid to learn that copywriting okay and they pay pretty well and then they'll actually turn you into like this really rockstar copywriter and maybe you might make a lot of money along the way yeah and then if you want to go out on your own now at least you have mastered the copywriting part of it so now you can go out and you already have the street cred as a copywriter and it'll be much easier for you to manage the business of copy Awesome. Okay, so I want to pivot and talk about your book. So I'd love to hear about where you are in the process. I believe you're still writing it. And what was the catalyst for your book and really the goal behind it? Right. So the book idea came up for a number of different reasons. Uh, I actually needed a hook to differentiate myself from my peers. So someone like Shanti is the quiz funnel queen or, you know, Paige is uh page is the funnel strategist and myrna is the the cmo okay i my only thing was direct response copywriter like even if i say dubai's most expensive copywriter that really doesn't mean much it's not it's not that big of a hook that you know people would be interested in so that's you know one reason i wanted to differentiate myself i wanted to build authority and use the book as sort of like a like my foot in the door to get guest appearances for podcasts blog posts whatever whatever and the second reason is i needed something to sell to my list because i built the list the wrong way and it's full of unqualified prospects so you know i write daily emails and my cta is asking the reader to book a strategy call with me so i'll get on the call with them find out what their needs are find out if i can help them and then i make them an offer except in a year of daily emails i can i got maybe five strategy calls book total so there's some disconnect there i mean i enjoy emailing every day because it makes me a better writer but you know i'm not running a charity here and if i like if you keep doing something and with with no roi eventually you lose steam so i surveyed the list and they're mostly early in their entrepreneurship journey or they're trying to break into copywriting and marketing So then I I decided okay they're not in a position to invest in me but there's nothing stopping me from investing in them and creating a product for them. Like me writing the book is actually like an like an ROI negative activity because of the amount of work it takes. I could be doing much higher ROI stuff like doing client work, right? And then the final reason is because I wanted to experiment 
with and test a bunch of concepts that make up my mental model of marketing. So the idea of creating your minimum viable product, the idea of uh, pre-selling and bootstrapping the product creation. So the idea of, you know, a premium pricing for a product. So the, the book is going to be is going to be premium pricing. Uh, the idea of sequentially raising prices and not offering discounts. Uh, the idea of personal branding. Essentially, uh, can I sell a product that doesn't exist yet on the basis of my personal brand alone? Uh, I'm writing the first draft now, and I've used the money from the pre-sale. So I think we sold well over 100 copies. And I'm using that money to, uh, I use that money to get a professional book cover done and to hire a copy editor. Um, and the other thing I learned was like, you know, when you say the word book, it conjures up this massive project and investment of time and energy. But I mean, what is a book really? It's like, it's 20 to 30 emails or blog posts stapled together with a cover on it. So that's exactly how I'm writing it. So my first draft is actually an autoresponder. I add a, I add an email to the autoresponder. I write the chapter. And then when the, when the, the email service provider sends the chapter out to the customers, so that is how I'm writing the book, right? Uh, and then for the marketing, um, I did a pre-sale five days. I just emailed three times a day, and I I did list building on social media. Um, when I and so that grew my list by about I think sixteen percent, and I think about seven percent of the list bought. Uh, when I do the launch, I'm going to do the same thing, but maybe a little bit longer. So emailing three times a day but i'll add like daily live streams and like exclusive affiliate partnerships where i give 100 percent commissions and i'll probably do a price bump as urgency um and eventually the goal is to make the book the only way you can get on my email list so can we talk a little bit about you know that pro let's go deeper on that process you know when you're sharing out chapters as you write them are you getting feedback and making improvements like you know Tell us, you know, how that's all going. Right. I have a you know, Facebook group for the customers and I ask them to, you know, when they read the chapters to give me feedback on it. And I have my editor, she's going to be looking through it as well. Uh, basically, the, the first draft is, is, you know, really rough. It's, it's, it's like your shitty first draft in any kind of copywriting project. And then I'm going to improve it as I go along. And, you know, because it's digital... I can keep updating the material. So like if there's new information that I want to add, I'll, I'll probably do that as well. So it's just an iterative process. As soon as the first draft is done, uh, we'll probably add, like it's probably going to change a lot because I think once the editor gets a hold of it, uh, she's just going to expose me for the hack writer that I am. All right, Nabil. So, you know, you show up online with confidence. Um, I want to hear about what you're actually struggling with in your business. Like, what are you struggling with today? Or what have you struggled with in, over the last year? And, and uh, how did you overcome it if you actually did overcome it? Right. So I think the hardest thing, and possibly many copywriters struggle with it, is so the ability to generate leads at will consistently. So you, like you need to have a, uh, like a lead gen pipeline and then solving a big enough problem that you can uh, charge a hefty sum of money for. And then finally, the ability to sell on the phone. I think a lot of copywriters are missing out there. So I still haven't perfected either of those, any of those things. However, last year I paid, uh, I paid a, a coach or coaches to teach me that stuff. So I learned how to create a feeder funnel to get leads into my business. I learned how to, uh, you know, package a high ticket offer. And I also learned how to sell on the phone. So I think, you know, paying the money to sort of level up the way you manage your business, I think that's a worthwhile investment. I think more copywriters should do that instead of you know, trying to figure out stuff on their own for years and years. So I'm actually really intrigued with this whole idea of selling on the phone. I'm not sure that I'm very good at it, although I tend to be able to close the projects that I want to. But what does that involve? Like, you know, uh, we're getting a client on the phone and then what? What's that discussion? So when you get them on the phone, it's, 
you showing up as a leader, like your only objective when you get a prospect on the phone is to guide them to the decision that is in their best interests. It's not to get them to work with you. It's not to get them to buy copywriting services. It's not to sell them a particular offer. Your only intention is to help them make the decision that is in their best interest. Now, you know, pretty often, in fact, you know, all of the time, the decision, the, the decision that's in their best interest is outside of their comfort zone. Because if it was in their comfort zone, that they would have already done it. And your job is to get them to realize that and then guide them to that decision over the course of the call, right? Whether that's working with you, whether that's not working with you, really depends on the conversation that's going on. Um, and ultimately, you're just going through any process of um, strategizing with them, finding out what their goals are, uh, finding out where their business is right now, finding out what, what are they doing right now to get to their goals, um, you know, painting a picture. If they achieve their goals, what would their world look like? If they don't achieve their goals, what would it look like? And then uh, finally, if, you, if it's a good fit and if you do have the ability to help them, then you say, listen, I can help you. Would you like me to tell you about what I can do for you? And then if they say yes, then you tell, give them the offer and then you, you know, quote the price and then you shut up. And then whoever talks first loses. <laughs> That's the hard part. All right. So, Nabil, I want to hear about why you're most excited to be a copywriter. Like, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for copywriters today? So I'm really hesitant to make any predictions about this. However, I have been following this discussion about ad tech that's been going on for the past, uh, I guess, a year or so, right? With this, you know, privacy concerns with uh, ad fraud and all of those things. Um, and then I've took, taken an interest in this Brave browser, which is this new browser that comes that's out that, you know, blocks all tracking scripts. Uh, recently, they actually filed a lawsuit against Google. Um, and I think as people are becoming more and more woke to privacy, you're going to find the digital marketing landscape change a lot. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. Media buyers are always going to find ways to get clicks. And media buyers are always going to need copyrights. That's not going to change. Whatever happens, they're going to find a way to drive traffic, right? But I think you're going to find a melding of branding and direct response, a melding of content and, uh, you know, sales copy. And it's going to be more about how you can tell stories to build, uh, to get attention, to create, uh, to build a community around you, to, you know, create an audience, to build an audience, and then how you're able to, you know, turn that attention into, you know, money, basically. So, you know, with that sort of hypothesis in mind, I actually bought the domain directresponsebranding.com. And I'll figure out what to do with it eventually. Right on. So, Nabil, uh, talking sort of about how you put all of that stuff to work in your own businesses and also going back to niching, you have a program or at least it's an email list called um, the Alpha Muslim. Tell us a little bit about what that project is and how you use what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes, uh, you know, how you apply that in that business. That was actually uh, supposed to be my main, my main business because I started it when I took Ramit's Zero to Launch course. But then I got more into the copywriting and digital marketing stuff and that you know, sort of took off faster than Becoming the Alpha Muslim. I still maintain it. Becoming the Alpha Muslim is a, a self-improvement blog. And it's my, it's my lab. That's why I experiment with a lot of the things that I learn. And I think, a lot, I think most copywriters would benefit a lot from this because you're able to, like you should be running your own marketing experiments. I'm running marketing experiments all the time. Like earlier this year, I... There's a there's a, a, a like a conference or a convention called Dubai Links for all of the ad the ad people in the region and creatives in the region. 
So I actually trolled them with Facebook ads and Twitter ads, um, talking about how you know ad guys don't care about sales, and if like if you want real results, then you should uh, you know hire real digital marketers, whatever, whatever. So we recorded a bunch of videos and we targeted them, uh, and we showed them those ads. Now the experiment itself was a fail, but it was a fun exercise to do, right? And me selling this book is also, uh, you know, the Dragon Energy book is also a marketing experiment. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be talking about that when it's all said and done. So, you know, Becoming the Alpha Muslim is like my lab where I test out a lot of, where I I was testing out a lot of the stuff, you know, I learned as a copywriter early on. And I think when you have like your own little lab for these experiments, it's, it's, I think it's better for you and it's better for the for your clients as well because you're not learning on their dime. Yeah, I love that. I think the idea of having a lab, I mean, that's how I got started before copywriting too. I had my own podcast uh, called Bridal Rebellion because I hated the wedding planning process. So I think it helps to always have something like that so you can test. And even for us with the Copywriter Club, like we test a lot of marketing messages and our own copywriting, uh, the stuff we can't write about for our clients. Um, but we get to test within this platform. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And you can add more value for uh, to your clients when you have your own thing and you're constantly learning. So I think it all works together really nicely. And and you've proven that. Uh, so Nabil, we, it's, we're about to wrap. But um, if anyone listening wants to reach out to you, learn more about the framework, we'll share the framework on our website. Um, but how can they reach you? Right. You can You can friend me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. My uh, handle is Nabil Aziz DXB. That's N-A-B-E-E-L-A-Z-E-E-Z-D-X-B. And also, if you want to check out the Dragon Energy DAO of Personal Branding book, you can go to dragonenergy.me. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Nabil, for uh, the second interview and uh, for being part of the community, coming back into the community after your time out. Uh, appreciate this. Thanks, Nabil. Yeah, this is great. We should do this again sometime. Let's do this all the time. Right. (laughs) Thanks, Nabil. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.